1: And said, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. David knew the consequences for sin was death. The wages of sin was death. David should have died. He should have been stoned. God forgave his sin. He surely won't die. But there would be consequences to face, there would be chastening. He would be chastised by the Lord.
0: As much as we look at King David with a sort of romanticized view, often labeling him as a hero, he had some serious downfalls. Adulterer and murderer were both accurate titles for this man. But as Pastor Dave will point out, God demonstrated mercy and grace to him in accepting his repentant heart. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. As he begins his message, chastening and restoration of David begins.
1: You are sure. 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. Please turn into your Bibles to 2 Samuel 12. We are specifically going to be looking at verses 15, and we're going to finish the chapter. I call this, The Chastening and Restoration of David Begins. So, we've been through chapter 11, where David sinned greatly with Bathsheba. And then he sinned again as he tried to deceive the people and cover up his sin. He did this by ordering Uriah home. He wanted Uriah to come home from the front line of the army. He wanted him to have relations with his wife in hopes that she would become pregnant and they could cover up their adultery. Uriah, being a most noble man, having great integrity, said no. He wouldn't do something that the men on the front lines could not do. Got to love that guy. Got to really, really like that guy. So what did David do? He devised another plot. And this plot was with his general Joab. He told Joab, remember, they were in siege of the city of Rabath. So he told Joab, when you charge the city, put, put Uriah out front. And then as you close in, when the enemy starts to advance, back up. Joab did as he was told. He was a good commander. He was a good general. He took orders well. And he did as he was told. And Uriah was killed. David ordered his death, trying to make it look like he died in battle. Once Uriah was dead, David was free. And he took Bathsheba for his wife, hoping to cover it up. Hoping to finish the cover-up, it was done, and now they could move on. But David felt like he was in the clear. He felt like things were going to now smooth out and go on. But he forgot one thing. He forgot one small detail. In verse 27b of chapter 11, it says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord was not happy with the way David behaved. In fact, I think when we studied that chapter, we found that, that David had broke no less than four of the Lord's commandments. Four of the Lord's commandments he had broken. So then last week, in chapter, beginning of chapter 12, Nathan the prophet is sent by the Lord to David to confront him about his sin. He comes up with this elaborate story that the Lord had given him about a rich man and a poor man The rich man had many flocks. The poor man only had one small ewe lamb. They loved it. It was part of the family. They nurtured it. They slept with it. They loved it. Everybody loved it. When a traveler came to visit the rich man, he blatantly didn't take of his own flock. Instead, he went to the poor man and took the ewe away, slaughtered it, and fed it to the traveler. This enraged David. Enraged him. How dare him do that? He shall surely die and repay fourfold. Nathan looked at David in the eye and said, You're the man. You're the man. David immediately realized his sin. He immediately realized the sin. Remember we talked about the mirror being held up to David's face? And David saw himself in the mirror and saw himself for what he really was, a sinner, someone who displeased God by his sin. David recognized it, and he confessed to the Lord in in 12, 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David recognized his sin, and he made confession to the Lord. And with his confession, he found forgiveness. When Nathan said, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. David knew the consequences for sin was death. The wages of sin was death. David should have died. He should have been stoned. God forgave his sin. He surely won't die. But there would be consequences to face. There would be chastening. He would be chastised by the Lord. The Lord told David through the prophet that all these things were going to come happen to him. The sword would be against you. There would be adversity in your household. There would be horrible things happening to you. And you can read all about that in 8, 9, and 10. And 11, therefore I raise up an adversary from you from your old household. He's going to take your wives. He's going to embarrass you. He's going to do all kinds of horrible things. But there was one thing that was going to happen immediately. This was prophecy for down the pike. But there was one thing that was going to happen immediately. And we saw that in 12.14. However, by this deed, you have given the great occasion to the enemies to blaspheme. The child who was born to you shall surely die. David had to face the Lord chastisement. David had to come face to face, not only with his sin, but with his consequences. And as I was looking at this, I realized that chastising or chast- chast- chastening is not punishment given out by an angry judge. Chastening is not punishment that's given out by an angry judge who wants to uphold the law. Instead, chastening is a difficulty permitted by a loving father who wants his children to submit to his will, and he wants to develop in them a godly character. It looks like punishment. It might even feel like punishment. But chastening is an expression of love. Chastening by God is an expression of His love. Proverbs 3, in verses 11 and 12, says this, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as the Father, the Son, in whom He delights. Chasten is an expression of love. Those of you that have children... Those of you who have have real children know that disciplining your children can be extremely tough, and it can cause you great tears, and it can cause a child great tears, but you know that it's necessary to teach them, to groom them, to show them the way which they should go. That's what our loving Father does for us. He chastens us, and we're not to despise that chastening in the great book of Hebrews, This is repeated again in Hebrews 12, beginning in verses 5 through 13. Let's read those. 5 through 13. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as a son. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So he's quoting those verses. If you enduring chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not, now not much more readily be in subjection to our Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But He, the Lord, for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight past of your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Chastening is something we all kind of, like. oh, I don't really want this to happen to me. Remember, as a father, when I had to discipline my children, it really wasn't my most pleasant thing in the world to do. And here in the Greek, the word for chastening means child training. means instruction. It means discipline. Chastening should not be regarded as the only reason that God allows difficult times in our lives. But it is an important one. We know, for example, that God allows difficult times in our lives so that when we get through them, we can comfort someone else as they go through that difficult time. You can find that in 2 Corinthians 1. In our lives, chastening isn't always the Lord's response to disobedience. Sometimes he uses chastening to prepare us for the challenges yet to come. He wants us to be holy. Be ye holy as your Father in heaven is holy. In order to do that, there has to be refinement. There has to be fine-tuning. There has to be the taking away and the putting in. Takes away the bad stuff. He puts in his Holy Spirit. We need to submit to the Holy Spirit. And the, the scripture we read said, if you're not being chastened by the Lord for doing something wrong, you better look at yourself. You better think about your salvation. For the Lord chastens whose he loves. If you do something wrong and you're not being chastened by it, wait a minute, do I really have this association with the Lord that I think I have? We go back to what we taught about on Sunday. We have to be very, very careful about that. Sometimes the Lord prepares us for the challenges that are to come. And I love this because I read this someplace. Just like a coach who trains athletes to compete. When you train an athlete to compete, you prepare. You get them ready for that big event. Sometimes chastening is a way of getting you prepared for that big event. For that event is going to come your way. So God chastens us. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. This is why James recommends a prayer for wisdom in the context of enduring trials in James 1, 2, and 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you come into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but that patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask. Count it all joy when you fall into the various trials and tribulations. What? The Lord is doing something wonderful in your life. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sometimes when we're going through something, it's not even for us. Sometimes what we're going through for is the next guy, or you know, the person over there who's looking into your life, or the neighbor down the street that you've been talking to. Think of it this way. What would the world be like if there were no consequences for sin? Like what it is right now, right? now? What would the world look like? So David got this message delivered to him from his pal his buddy, Nathan. And I said last week that usually it's a pal or a buddy who comes to you with the bad news of the Lord, who comes to you and tries to correct you into the right ways of the Lord. And we need to take the plank out of our own eye before we remove the speck in our brother's eye. We need to come with our brother or our sister in love, all done in love, just like God is chastening us in love. He chastens those he loves, so he's given us love. David responds by confessing to the Lord. Nathan held a mirror up to David, and then Nathan pronounced the consequences. These are the consequences. The child will die. Those are some bitter consequences. Those are some bitter consequences that David had to face. And we read, as we begin verse 15, Then Nathan departed to his house. Nathan now leaves. He leaves so that David now can contemplate all that was told to him. And I think this is a very, very important thing. When we counsel someone, when we see somebody struggling in a sin, when we see somebody struggling and we counsel them and we hold the mirror up to their face and stuff, after we've done, don't belabor the point, leave. And in hopes that they will contemplate what was said to them that they will go back to God's word and read it and heed it and take note of what was said to them. We can't keep beating them over the head. We need to say what we need to say and then leave. That's what Nathan did. Nathan came in with a message, he delivered the message, and he got out of there. And on his way out, he went, thanks, Lord. I'm sure it was kind of difficult for him to do that. So he leaves and returns to his house. And in verse 15b, the chastening begins. A chastening begins. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. Though Uriah was dead, and David was legally married to Bathsheba, notice that the biblical writer still referred to Bathsheba as Uriah's wife. Maybe it was because the child was conceived when Uriah was alive. Maybe. We won't really know. It might be God's way of saying, Uriah's death and the subsequent marriage doesn't make everything okay, David. Everything's still not okay. And when I read this, I went back to a verse that we throw around a lot. It's in Galatians 6, verse 7. You know, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, that you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. If you sow the Spirit, you'll reap things of the Spirit. And I guess it comes down to which do we feed most? Do we feed the Spirit most? Or do we feed the flesh most? Well, I look out at you, and I say to you, you're feeding the Spirit right now. You're feeding your Spirit right now. If you chose to stay home and hang around and go on Facebook and and play games or do whatever it is or watch TV or even whatever, you might be sowing to the flesh. But you're choosing to sow to the Spirit right now. Whatever you feed the most will have the most power in your life. If you want to reap to the Spirit, we should not hesitate to sow to the Spirit with whatever resources God gives us. A farmer reaps the same that he sows. If he plants a wheat in the ground, guess what? Wheat comes up. It's a natural fact, folks. I don't plant wheat hoping to get corn. When you plant, whatever you plant in the ground, that is going to come up. But what's nice about it is usually when it comes up, for example, if you plant a corn seed in and a corn stalk comes up, usually you're not going to get just one ear, are you? you're going to get several ears off that corn seed. If you plant an apple tree seed in the ground and it grows and it blossoms, the chances are you're going to get more than one apple, aren't you? So God restores you and shows you that's like reaping to the Spirit. God will multiply what you're reaping fourfold, hundredfold. He will multiply that as you reap to the Spirit. But there's something better than that. There's something so much better than that. We reap everlasting life by the Spirit. We reap everlasting life by the Spirit. I think that's so much wonderful. It's not some sort of investment or money-making scheme. But through God's Word, we are completely confident that He who began the work in you will complete it. It's a confidence builder. So when I'm sowing to the Spirit, my confidence is soaring high. I know God loves me. Nobody has to tell me I'm going to lose my salvation because you can't tell me I'm going to lose my salvation. I've been sowing to the Spirit, and my confidence is so high, you say, oh, you're in trouble. Blah, I'm not. But if I'm sowing to the flesh, and I keep sowing to the flesh, and all this fleshly stuff starts to come out, that's when I start to question my salvation, isn't it? Hmm, geez, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. I'm sowing to the wrong thing. I'm sowing to the wrong thing. Whatever man sows, that he will reap. And this principle is beyond giving. It's beyond supporting pastors and teachers. It's a general application of life. What we get out of life is what we put into life. What you get out of the Spirit is what you put into the Spirit. And He gives you back many manyfold, many, fold, many fold. You can fool yourself expecting when we sow little, but we cannot fool God. The results of poor sowing will be evident. and David found this out the hard way. David was sowing to the flesh. and Now of the flesh, he has to reap. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. So Bathsheba delivers, was it a male or female? How do you know? Yeah, I know. It says, in verse 23, it says, but now he is dead. You got to read the whole chapter to find out whether it was a male, because they keep calling it the child. Through the whole section, they call it a child, the child, the child, the child. And I was sitting there going, wait a minute, is this male or female? And I kept reading, and finally I said, oh, it says he. It's a son. Bathsheba delivers a son, but the son becomes ill. The son that David must remember that Nathan said would die. But David still pleads for the child's life. Look at verse 16a. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David pleads for God. Despite Nathan's prophecy about the child, David continued to fast and pray, asking God to heal the child. Finish this verse. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David now is prostrating himself on the ground. He's praying. He's fasting that God would heal the triumph. Now, notice one thing. David already heard from the Lord. The Lord said the child would die. And as David's praying and as David's fasting, at no time does the Lord interrupt him. The Lord didn't stop him from interceding for the child Even after all the sins that David committed, he accepted his prayer. Why? This was therapy for David. This was therapy for David. One of the best things you can do when things go wrong or do what? Go to the Lord. Here David is, you might call him one of the greatest of sinners, although Paul would argue and I'll argue with both of them. But here they are. David's fasting and praying, knowing that God's going to take the child. But all the time he's fasting and praying, he's drawing closer and closer and closer to God. He's drawing closer to God through his prayers. This is great therapy. The Lord was David to come back to him through his prayer and fasting. It didn't hurt David to spend time with God. It blessed him And after all. Because of David's sin, many think that they had been separated the entire nine months that, Uriah, that Bathsheba was pregnant. David had a lot of catching up to do. But sadly, the baby only lived a week. Let's read 17. Oh, excuse me. The elder, let's read 17 and um, half of 18. So the elders of the house rose and went to him to raise them up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. David's not going to do this. All he wants to do is fast and pray for the child. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. Baby dies in seven days. What did this mean for David? What did this mean for David? Can anybody tell me what this means for David? Seventh day. What happens on the eighth day? In Jewish law, what happened on the eighth day? Circumcision. They were not able to circumcise their child. What happens during circumcision? He was given a name. David was not able to circumcise the child, nor was he able to give him a name. This was huge in Jewish law. It's huge. It must have broken David's heart, but he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. You are sure
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you, but that's all we have time for today on A Sure Hope. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, AssureHopeRadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. You can explore more of this series in 2 Samuel or jump to another book of the Bible. Each one gives unique insight into God's plan for you and this world you live in. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. In this busy world, setting time aside to study the Bible in depth is difficult. So we'd like to make that just a bit easier. By subscribing to our podcast, you'll have sound biblical teachings sent right to your smartphone or computer. What a great way to infuse your day with God's Word. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. We're gathering in person, but we understand if you're not comfortable with that yet. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live. Just follow the link at assurehoperadio.com. We look forward to worshiping with you, either in person or virtually this weekend. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to continue this study in the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.
1: Rescue.